This is Livable Launch, and I'm your host, Matthew Slutsky. Today, we're talking to Matt Young, the CEO of the upstart development company, Republic Developments, who are making a big splash in the market right now. We talked to Matt about his upcoming projects, price per square foot, what makes his units unique, floor plan design, architectural design, unit mixes, King West, Scarborough, Parkdale. We're talking about everything in between. We're also talking to his dog, Hudson, who has a little appearance partway through the show when we start talking about parks. So stay tuned as we unravel his new launches, new floor plans, and your next new home. Your next dose of inspiration starts now. Hey, we're sitting here with Matt Young from Republic Developments, a young upstart in Toronto development. Uh, That said, Matt Young has a huge history of experience in the city spanning probably 15 years from when I first launched Buzz Buzz Home. And his dog, Hudson, welcome to the show. Matt, great to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. You've got a lot of developments in the pipeline right now. I know, I remember two years ago, we were writing a story about you and you were pulling, you know, 24 hour days, seven days a week, pushing six projects through uh, the development line. But right now you're really pushing hard on Bellwoods out on kind of King Street West. Can you tell me a little bit about Bellwoods? Sure. Yeah, this is our our first launch, so it's obviously a very important one for us. Um, It's kind of the launch that's going to define our brand and uh, start to solidify our reputation in the industry. So it matters a lot, and we're very excited about it. Um, We've been working on this for a couple years now, and, uh, you know, it's taken a lot of time to work through the unit designs and work through the marketing campaign and and, uh, get the architecture just right. And, you know, we're really excited to come out. Looking at the renderings, there's no doubt this is a very dramatic looking building. Can you tell me a little bit about the architecture? Yeah, so, um, I mean, first of all, the area that it's in is quite a unique area. It's uh, very eclectic. There's a mix of uh, residential housing. There's a mix of light industrial. There's a mix of offices and warehouse type buildings. And so we wanted the architecture to reflect the character and the context of the area. Um, and we wanted it to be reverential to the area and, and be a positive addition, something that looked like it belonged there for the last, or it's been there for the last 20 plus years. So, uh, you know, we started with looking at materials, um, using a lot of brick on the building. Um, we also wanted to transition the building in a way from, you know, the southern end closer to King Street towards the northern end, uh, closer to Adelaide. So we've kind of broken up the building into three different sections, kind of a, a taller you know, call it tall mid-rise type of section, uh, uh, a middle-sized mid-rise type of section, and then we've got a heritage building on the north end. And each of those sections are sort of broken up, and when you look at it from a little bit afar, it helps the building transition towards the neighborhood and and, uh, kind of lightens lightens it on the street. From a locational perspective, I believe you're about a three-minute walk from Trinity Bellwoods. Uh, What's the exact location of the project? So the address is 111 Strawn. So it's directly, uh, it's on Strawn, directly north of uh, of King Street, uh, at the corner of Strawn and Adelaide. So looking at that location, who do you see as being the end users in the building, and who are the purchasers in the building? So we've we've actually got some data on this because we've been uh, taking registrations now for uh, two or three months, and. Um, there's been, and we've actually been calling a lot of the registra- registrants and trying to get a sense of who they are and what they're looking for. And what we found the most is that it's people in the neighborhood or kind of in the downtown West area who want to be close to the park, want to be close to, you know, the great restaurants, but don't necessarily want to be right in the middle of the action. 
and they see it as a good neighborhood building to live in. Um, so we've been getting a lot of those types of people. Uh, surely there's going to be a lot of investors who want to, you know, invest in the neighborhood as well. Generally buildings where there's high demand for, for the product tend to do well as an investment because, um, less people want to sell and more people want to buy. So, um, so we think there'll be a mix, but we definitely think there's going to be a lot of end users who want to be in this building. What, what's your unit mix looking like? Is it, is the unit mix geared towards investors or toward, towards, uh, end users purchasing? So it's actually geared towards both. We have, uh, small units that are probably catered to investors and, and people who might want to rent in the building, but we also have a lot of large units too. And so I think that mix is what's really interesting. If you do a building that's entirely large units, um, they tend to be very hard to sell, very slow sell uh, type of building. And most people who are, you know, in the, the snack bracket to buy those units are typically waiting later until the building's close to being built. Um, so you kind of need to cater to the investor community a little bit. Uh, but we also want to make it a building that people are excited to live in and are going to be happy to live in. And so I think having that end user presence, people who really want to take care of the building and, and um, you know, and who value being there a lot, I think uh, that's going to make it for a great building for both investors and end users. Because we probably, we probably have 10 to 15% of the units are quite large um, between penthouses, townhouses, terraced units on different floors. So as we kind of think across North America, uh, quite large has a lot of different meanings. From a Toronto perspective, um, what's the kind of large units on square footage and, and what's the mix look like from the, the smallest to the largest? Uh, the biggest unit is about 3,300 square feet with um, over 3,000 square feet of uh, outdoor space as well. Uh, we've got a few units that are upwards of 2,000 square feet, uh, a number of units in the kind of, uh, you know, 1,200 to 1,600 square foot range. You know, there's many of those. Um, and then we've got lots of units around 1,000 square feet as well. And then we also have, you know, one bedrooms that are 475 square feet that are very efficient and, uh, you know, well laid out. And um, for a single who's living downtown, it's, it's a great building to be in and a great type of unit that's at an affordable price point uh, to get into. So you mentioned talking to your um, registrants and kind of seeing their, their feeling. What's their take on the market right now? Are they... Uh, are you finding people are a bit nervous right now or people needing houses and they're, they're gung-ho on buying? Well, most of the people we've spoken to who, who, you know, if you register and you want to have a conversation with a sales team, you're probably a more serious buyer. So most of the people we've spoken to from that perspective uh, like the neighborhood and they like the building. And so they, they're waiting for the right project for them because they actually want to live there. Um, they're going to look at things not purely from a financial perspective, but from a livability perspective. They, you know, they want to know, does this building have all the features that I want? Does, it, does the architecture look the way I'd like it to look? Does the interior design look the way I'd like it to look? And um, so they're asking a lot of those types of questions. And that to me is a sign that they really care about being in the building or, or being in the neighborhood if they're asking those types of questions early on. If the first question they ask is how much is it going to cost and you know, what's the maintenance fees and those things, then you're probably thinking of it from an investor perspective. And that's okay too, but I'd say we've had more people asking about the building and, and uh, design and things of that nature than the latter. So I've got to ask you then, I, don't, I know you haven't started selling yet, but um, what's the pricing like? What's the maintenance fee is going to be like? Uh, what, what are you looking kind of at a price per square foot? I know that, again, you haven't launched yet, so it's not going to be an exact number, but generally speaking. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if I can give a number yet because we actually haven't um, priced the building. We haven't finalized pricing the building. But what I can say is that our approach to pricing the building is one of value. Um, and that's going to be the key message when we you know, eventually reach out to the brokers and we start having those conversations and events. It's going to be reinforcing uh, the idea of value because I think people have lost track of like why an investment is a good investment and why how you know why you know home might be a good home and so what i've seen a lot of is you know especially in the frenzy of the market you know a year year and a half ago uh builders were were generally building uh fairly cookie cutter type product which is okay um and price points were getting very high and ultimately nobody was paying attention to the details of the building um, and so those buildings will be fine. They're good additions to our city, but they may not appeal to everybody or to end users or to people who kind of maybe have a little bit more sophistication. Um, and so what we've done is uh, try to design the building that's going to appeal to people who really want to live there. We're offering products and features that uh, in some cases no other building is offering. So things like induction cooktops. Uh, as far as I'm aware, we're the first builder to offer that as a standard in a project. Um, the reason we're doing it is because they're just 10 times better than an electric cooktop. And gas, while gas is also nice, there's obviously issues of air quality and health and things of that nature. And we really believe that induction cooktops are the future. So we're going to make the investment. They cost a lot more, but we're going to make the investment to do it because we think people are going to appreciate it when they actually move into the building. So these are things that the average investor on day one doesn't even ask that question. They won't even think about it. But when you actually move into the building, you're going to start to see all those little details that we've kind of painstakingly put our energy into. Um, and that to me is, uh, is why this building is probably different and why there's going to be a lot of value in this building because people are going to get it at a very reasonable price point. We're going to, we're, we're not trying to be aggressive on price, uh, but we think the quality of building they're getting is going to be far superior than anything else they can get at that price point across the city. I've now known you for like 15, 16 years. No doubt. I know you're, you're very attention to detail orientated. A lot of young builders in the city aren't, and they kind of let their architects just kind of run with it and they go with the flow. Um, it's great to hear about the induction cooktops or any, any other unique details that you can share about the building, whether it's kind of unique things with the floor plan designs that you are really actively involved in uh, and are, and are going to be really proud of in this building. Um, well, the, uh, we did a number of things that are innovative and I, I got to save a few things for when we actually launched. But um, one of the big things that always, uh, I always found, it always frustrated me a little bit with uh, suite designs um, and particularly finishes, like finished palettes and colors. Is you know when I was coming up in the industry, uh, I was I was always told you know you want to offer three packages: a light, a medium, and a dark, and that will appeal to you know everybody's going to find one of those that they like. But the truth is, design doesn't work that way. Design isn't about light or medium or dark. Design is about aesthetics. Design is about styles, and so instead of looking at um, uh, just kind of fitting a light, medium, and dark uh, bucket, we said, let's develop four distinct styles that will appeal to a very broad range of people. And so um, each uh, design we have, and we've, we've rendered them all out, and they're all going to be in the sales office, and people can see the finishes there, uh, reflects um, a different place in the world. 
we really want to cater this building to, you know, this is probably not a first time buyer building. This is probably someone who's lived downtown, who loves, loves living downtown, but wants to upgrade a little bit into a nicer building, into a nicer neighborhood. And, uh, and so we think these people are already established. They're probably well-traveled, they're entrepreneurs, they're creators. And, um, and so we wanted to reflect, you know, this kind of global, um, aesthetic. And so we've got four different styles from around the world. We've got a Scandinavian style. We've got a London style. Um, we've got a New Yorker. And then we've got one that's sort of a homegrown Toronto style. And uh, they're all distinct. They're all quite beautiful. And, um, and we think that's just a different approach than what other people typically take. And I think it's going to resonate well with buyers. That sounds awesome. What about the amenity mix? What, what's the amenity mix looking like? And again, in talking to your registrants, what were you hearing from them that they wanted in buildings these days? Yeah. Um, so first of all, a couple of things. The, the last three years, I think the world has changed a lot with COVID um, between people working from home and, um, and health and things of that nature. And so that has informed a lot of the amenities that are in the building. We also wanted the building, and, and this is just a big belief for me, like I'm not into gimmicks. I want things to feel authentic and to be authentic, and I want them to be useful. If an amenity is put in the building to help sell, but nobody actually uses it, to me, that's a complete waste of time and a complete waste of money. So we wanted to put things into the building that are really going to be used. And if you look at that and, and look at what amenities get used, you know, what is it? Number one is a gym. So we said, let's invest a lot of money into the gym. Let's not make it an okay gym that we can put on the you know, brochure. Let's make it an incredible gym. Let's, let's make it a gym that you do not need a gym membership for. So we've partnered with Techno Gym, the best gym equipment manufacturer in the world. We're putting all Techno Gym equipment into the gym. I think saving except for the free weights. Um, so we've got smart trainers, smart uh, bikes. Um, you know, we've got large cable machines. We've got free weights. We've got a mix of everything. Uh, we also have a yoga room. We also have a, um, a sauna. We've got Nordic showers. You can do kind of hot and cold therapy from in the gym. There's a change room. Um, and we think it's going to be just a beautiful gym and a really, really nicely done gym that people will actually use. Um, the other thing we did was a co-working space. Because a lot of people now, not everybody, but a lot of people are going to be working from home, if not every day, one day a week, two days a week. And so having a space that actually allows them to do that in the building, I think is important. Instead of somebody having to go pay, you know, five or $600 a month for a desk at WeWork, they now have something that's just as functional in their building that's just as beautiful. Um, we then, you know, part of... Uh, looking at who we thought our audience was going to be we thought a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of entrepreneurs today much like what you're doing um, are content creators and that's how they market so we said let's build a podcast studio in the building so people can actually professionally create content and do it in a really effective way without having to go spend a lot of money um, renting a podcast studio every time they want to shoot an episode and so that's going to be full uh, recording capabilities uh, both video and audio and there'll be an ability to kind of change backdrops and things like that. So if you have certain branding for your podcast, you'll be able to put that onto the backdrop and get it on, on camera. So um, to me, these are all really practical, useful uh, types of spaces. And then we've also looked at um, catering to different audiences. So as an example, I've got a dog who's you know begging to get let out of the room right now. Um, I think a lot of people who have pets would love to have space to be able to wash their pets and deal with that. So we've done a really beautiful pet spa that's going to be great. Um, I'm big into cycling. I'm a big promoter of cycling in the city. Um, 
And so obviously we've got a lot of bike storage in the city, uh, uh, in the building rather. And then we also said, you know, what do people do? This is always a problem I've had is like when you need to clean your bike or, or repair it or do any maintenance on it, what do you do? So we've actually created a, a bike repair station in the bike storage room that's going to have a full wash station, all the tools you need, you know, all the gear you need to be able to take care of your bike if you need to. These are little things that, you know, actually I don't even think that ended up in the brochure, to be honest. It was an idea we came up with after the brochure was sent to print and we were like, let's add it. It's a, it's a good idea to add. So, and I think that's sort of a key message for, you know, the type of builder we want to be. We always want to deliver everything we promised and more. Um, and so, you know, we're not afraid if we need to spend a little bit of money to add value to the building, we will do those things if it makes sense. And I think this is a good example of it making sense. So it's just I, a, a bit of a mix. We've got more, but I love that. And I love those, as you said, kind of authentic touches that really is what ends up defining a building. So that's great to hear. Moving on from kind of the Western part of Toronto to the Eastern part, um, you also have a huge development site in Scarborough. Uh, and again, talking about authenticity, I know that it's very close to your heart. Can you tell me a little bit about the site and um, what's going on there? Yeah, uh, the site is at Kennedy, Danforth, and St. Clair. Um, it's a large site. It's 26 acres, uh, and it was also the first deal we did. So we wanted to start small um, as we built the company. Um, it's turned into a really incredible project, something I'm very proud of. Uh, I grew up not far from the area. I went to high school just around the corner from the area. I used to drive by the site, um, you know, every morning going to school. And, uh, and it's, it's directly on a GO station, but it was all industrial. And you didn't even notice it when you drove by. It was just sort of this, this empty swath of land uh, that you didn't even notice in passing. And, uh, but it was sitting on a GO station, and it was 18 minutes from Union Station. It looked like perfect real estate. And, um, you know, because I grew up in Scarborough, I know it well. And, and uh, I know that Scarborough gets a bad rap sometimes. I think a lot of that is because of there's, there's been a lack of investment in Scarborough. You know, there hasn't been a lot of overly positive media in the past about Scarborough. And I think that that can easily change with the right investment and the right vision and the right, um, you know, approach to executing uh, a, a great project like this in the area. So... Um, you know, it's been evolving. We're, we're nearly, we're, we're getting towards the end of the rezoning process. It's going to be about 8,000 units. Um, and it, for us, it was a blank canvas to create a whole new community because Scarborough is a really big area. And if you think about it, like when I was growing up, Scarborough Town Center was sort of the gathering place for Scarborough. Um, there wasn't really many other places to go. And now I think Scarborough's being formed to sort of three distinct areas where development and growth are happening. So you've got Scarborough Town Center, um, kind of in the northern end, and then you've got the Golden Mile in the middle, and then I think you've got our development um, on the south. And so we're really trying to create a downtown or a new downtown for South Scarborough. Um, and so we've got all, all the things you would expect in a new downtown, from a community center, a large park, um, pedestrian walkways and muses, um, a new grocery store, which is much needed in the area, uh, about 170 or 180,000 square feet of retail now, um, daycares. Uh, we've got a mix of housing types. We've got live work units. So the idea is we're creating a, a real mix and, and a real neighborhood for people and a place to gather. I, I love that you position that as your first site that you acquired. Like as if it was nothing, yet you're talking about 8,000 units, uh, an entire community. It's pretty, pretty incredible. How, how, many tower, how many towers are 
in that community? Uh, we have 14 towers and then uh, a large amount of mid-rise um, kind of uh, connected, like podiums connected to those towers. Um, every part of the neighborhood is very walkable and the setbacks from the mid-rise to the towers are quite substantial, significantly more substantial than typical buildings would be. Um, and so the beauty of that is that you create a really walkable area. Um, when you're walking down the street, it's not a tower right up against the edge of the street. Typically, there's a nice healthy setback before the tower starts. And so you're going to get a lot of sunlight into the, into the pedestrian areas. We've got retail kiosks and things like that. Um, and so we're looking at how to design that retail to be really, 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 really attractive for people to go to and as a gathering space. And that's what's going to make it exciting retail and make the neighborhood vibrant. So obviously, Bellwoods is launching before that, um, and it's a much smaller project. What's your, what's your, when it's your anticipated launch for Bellwoods, and what about when do you expect to start selling Scarborough? So for Bellwoods, we're gearing up to launch in, um, in kind of the end of summer, early fall. So around September to early October. Um, you know, that's still hanging on a few things. We're obviously looking carefully at the market and seeing what's happening there. But, um, you know, we want to have a healthy amount of time to build up the campaign and to introduce the project to people. Uh, the sales office is just wrapping up right now and it's looking beautiful. So we're excited to show that to people. Um, so yeah, if all things go well, then we'll be launching uh, September, October. And for Scarborough, I'd say that's still a little bit TBD. We're not finished the zoning. We still have some work to do there. Um, you know, but in a perfect world over the next couple of years, we're launching uh, our first projects there and starting to build that out. Do you have any projects, but I know you're working on a lot of projects. Do you have any projects in between Bellwoods and Scarborough or is that the order that you're going to go in? The, the order is still probably up in the air, but we do have other projects. We have a new one that um, is moving along quite well at 1266 Queen Street West. Um, it's kind of the gateway into Parkdale. Uh, we're really excited about that project. Uh, we obviously like the West End a lot. Um, and I think Parkdale's an area that's seen basically no growth for a very long time. And it's just starting to see that now. CreateTO's got a project there, um, which I think has now just gotten its approval. And Hallmark's got a great application in. And we've got ours. And uh, Minto's there. And I think Kingset's also there. So over time, it's going to start to build up. Um, and I think it's kind of the next frontier for, for kind of West Toronto is Parkdale. So we're excited about that one. Timing is, is unknown, but uh, things are moving along at a good pace. So that could come theoretically before Scarborough. Um, and then we've got, we've got other things that we're cooking that, uh, that are not public yet too. So That's a pretty great lineup right there. Yeah. Um, coming back to kind of the origins of Republic... Why don't you tell me a little bit about the story of Republic, how it came to be? I know, again, you've got a long history and development in the city, uh, working for some incredible organizations and growing them. Uh, so how did Republic come about? And I mean, I don't know if you're allowed to say, but how did that Scarborough site come about? Again, it's your first project. That's a pretty good, if you think about a starter house, it's a pretty good starter project. Yeah, I think Republic was a long time coming. I mean, when I started in the business, I always, in the back of my mind, had this entrepreneurial spirit and, and thought I would one day start my own company. Um, you know, I, I got a lot of great experience working for other developers. You know, I started my career at Lifetime Developments in uh, 2009 and um, spent three years there and I learned a ton from them. Uh, and then I joined Capital Developments uh, in 2012 and spent eight years working with them and, and learning an, a ton there and getting a lot of, um, a lot of, I was given a lot of autonomy, I'd say, to work there. And so that's really where my career grew, grew a lot, my reputation. 
And at some point, it just, I just kind of thought to myself, if I'm ever going to take the leap, now is the time to take the leap. So it wasn't that, you know, things were going great at CD and I really enjoyed working with them. Um, but I, I just had to kind of fulfill that for myself. And so in 2020, beginning of 2020, I left and uh, started Republic. Um, so, and then in terms of Scarborough, that site was a site that I always really knew about. It was, it was an assembly, so it was a very complicated deal. And, um, you know, when I started looking at it, I remember talking to the owner. There was one, one uh, or I guess two families collectively who owned uh, the largest piece of that assembly. They owned 20 acres. And, you know, I met with them. They were interested in selling. They had gone through a, a development process themselves. Um, I think their ambitions were something a bit more modest than my ambitions were. And there was a lot of contamination on the site. And I think ultimately by the time they finally got it approved and, and we're talking like, I think it was over a decade, maybe more, I think 12 years for them to get their approval, which is insane. It, what they got approved no longer made any financial sense. And so, um, I think they said they've had enough and they were ready to sell. But they didn't really look at me as a, as a serious buyer. You know, I, I didn't really have a lot of money and I, I had some experience, but I was still young. And they knew how complicated this site was and how much of a challenge it was going to be and the, you know, the potential risk on the site. So what we did instead was we started buying up all the sites around them. And uh, we ended up buying five different deals uh, around them. And then at that point, we went back to them and said, look, we own a lot of the property around you and we really have a strong vision for what this site could be and what this neighborhood could be. And, you know, we put a really incredible package together for them. Um, I think it was close to 200 pages of who our team was and what our vision for the site was. And, you know, all of the things that, uh, you know, that a potential vendor would want to know to give us credibility. And, and at some point, I think it was end of January or maybe, maybe February of 2020, they called me one day. I remember I was driving somewhere. They called me that morning and they said, we're ready to sell. Here's our price. And we very quickly put our offer together and, you know, there wasn't a lot of negotiating. We kind of agreed. There was a couple things we, we wanted, but for the most part, we, we agreed and we got to a deal. So that's, that kind of formed most of the assembly. There was a few pieces that trickled in later on. Um, but at that point we had the bulk of the assembly and we had a, enough to be able to submit an application. That's incredible. When you look at your different sites and the brand of Republic, is there something that ties together all the sites? And you, you talk about Scarborough and walkability of it. And I think that's really incredible. And it's also kind of this emerging area as you, as Scarborough becomes something else. Talk about Parkdale, very similar. It's I mean, a very walkable area, but it's at the emergence of somewhere. And then you've got Bellwoods. Is, is there kind of a, a theme among the sites that you acquire? And will that continue um, as you continue to acquire sites? Yeah, there is a bit of a theme. Um, the theme evolves a little bit. I'd say, you know, in our business, you have to be flexible and you have to, you have to be open to, um, to identifying different opportunities. You have to have your eyes open for when that opportunity comes up. So when we started our initial thesis was, and I actually, I've talked about this before, but, um, I did an analysis when I started the business, cause I wanted to figure out how I was going to compete with all the big players. You know, how was I going to be able to compete with Capital or Lifetime or Mankis or Centercourt or Tridel or any of those guys? I, I wasn't going to be able to unless I was looking for something that none of them were looking for. And so I started looking at neighborhoods in the city 
and, uh, and looking at neighborhoods where people were not paying attention and where I felt there was growth potential. And coupled with that, I was also looking at the pricing of real estate and what was happening in the real estate market. And this was around 2019 when, you know, prices had gone up quite a bit. The run from about 2015 to 2019 was, was quite uh, substantial. And it was getting to the point, I was even seeing on some of our projects that buyers were starting to be priced out. And I, I'm a big believer that someone would rather be a buyer in a periphery location than a renter in a downtown location long term. I think everybody would prefer to own the real estate they're in if they had the opportunity. So we started looking at what those periphery locations were where you could buy at a price point that you could never get downtown or in some of these more established areas. And there was two neighborhoods or two areas of the GTA that really stood out. Uh, Brampton was one and Scarborough was the other. And to me, Scarborough is the obvious place because A, I knew it and I understood Scarborough because I grew up there. But B, the real estate is incredible. It's very close to downtown. It's on transit. It's close to the water. There's a lot of great amenities and things in Scarborough. And with the right amount of investment at the right site, you could really create a new neighborhood and do something special. And so it was obvious to us that Scarborough is where we should be putting our energy. And, you know, I think that bet has worked out because if you look at the Golden Mile and now Oxford's doing their project in, uh, at Scarborough Town Center, and some of this was already ongoing as, as we were, you know, developing this thesis. But then there's been a whole bunch of other investment along Kingston Road and other developers pushing towards Scarborough. And I think the fact is you're going to be able to deliver housing there a hell of a lot cheaper than you would anywhere else in the city. And in a housing crisis where people, you know, are struggling with affordability, that's going to be the easiest way to get more people on the property ladder and to give more people, um, uh, you know, the, the, the ability for home ownership. Um, so that's kind of where Scarborough started. We, we kind of were big believers in looking at the periphery and looking at those emerging areas. Um, but the other thing that we started thinking about too is because I've been involved in a lot of selling of projects over my career. And, you know, in a hot market, everything sells, but in a tougher market, you really need a compelling story for why your project is different. And so we're very risk adverse people. Um, our company is very risk adverse, uh, believe it or not, despite the fact that we do take on what some would consider risky projects. Um, but when we look at these projects now, we think about what's the end marketing strategy for how we're going to sell it. And so I generally look for two key things. Um, they can be different, but one should generally be transit and then the other one can be anything else, but two differentiators about that site, that neighborhood, that would be a compelling story to tell in a marketing campaign and hopefully attract buyers uh, and agents to want to sell your project. So in the case of Scarborough, you know, we had views to the water, we had new master plan, new retail, uh, programming, new community center, new daycares. We had, we have dozens and dozens of reasons why someone would want to buy there. Um, on top of being connected, directly connected to transit. In the case of Bellwoods, the story was, this is um, very close to transit. The, the new Ontario line going in at King of Bathurst, it's very walkable to the Ontario line, about a five minute walk. And on top of that, it's in the most park abundant area of downtown. There's over a dozen parks in like under a 10 minute walk to the site including Trinity Bellwoods, including Stanley Park, including, you know, uh, the parks, Coronation Park and some of the parks down on the waterfront, including the Martin Goodman Trail. And so all of those things to me, and th th there is, there is uh, 
there's evidence that when you live closer to parks and those, um, you know, that kind of public infrastructure, that those types of homes and that, that type of uh, building is going to trade for more and, and be a more desirable building to live in. So again, from an investment perspective, you want to be close to parks. And, uh, and that's kind of become our, our thesis and our sales strategy for the site. I feel bad as we're talking about parks. Hudson's like <laughs> ears has popped up and he's uh, moaning to guess to go to a park. Sorry, buddy. Um, he wants to play. <laughs> that That's awesome. I, I love that. Which kind of leads into the question of, is your sales process going to look like the classic Toronto pre-con sales process? Or are you um, doing anything different in, in your sale, in your proposed techniques? Look, we're, um, I've got great relationships with a lot of the brokers um, in the city. I've been working with them since I started um, my career in 2009. And, uh, and we're big believers that, that they really drive the market. And so we're absolutely going to be working with the brokers and, and, um, and letting them in early uh, to sell the building. I think that's really important. Um, we've also had a lot of brokers reaching out, really, really looking to sell the building, saying they've got clients. And so that, that obviously is something we're listening to. So, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity for new brokers who I don't have a relationship with to, to reach out and, um, you know, and, and introduce themselves and, uh, you know, and if they've got clients to get involved in the project. Um, we've also had a lot of like local people from the neighborhood, um, who have reached out wanting to buy. And, you know, I've, I've said this, uh, before that I think like when you're, when you're in changing a neighborhood, um, you know, hopefully for the better, but it is disrupting, you know, people who live there. And so, you know, I've had people who live there reach out and say, you know, we, we, we should have a chance to buy in this building. Like it shouldn't just be pre-sold in two weeks and be sold out and then we never get a chance. And so, you know, we're, we're working on trying to find a way to, to give them a chance to buy into the building as well. Um, cause there's been a few people who have, who have reached out who would like to live in the building potentially downsize from their home and, and move into the condo. So, um, but for the most part, I think it's going to be the very typical strategy and, um, and working with the brokers who have really taken care of us and been loyal to us over the years. Switching gears a little bit, it's kind of, kind of want to end with, a, with, um, your love for cycling. I know, um, you're a huge cycler. You've started your own cycling group. Um, you've talked about cycling, uh, you know, in Bellwoods, you're actually, you know, taking advantage, you know, taking your learnings and applying it to the, to the new building. Want to tell us a little bit about your cycling organization and what you guys do and, um, how it's impacted your life. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I started in cycling not that long ago. I think it was 20, 2018. Um, I was invited to do a charity bike ride, which, you know, I, I think I was on a boat and probably had a few too many drinks and I said, yeah, come do this charity bike ride with us. And then I come to find out the next day that it's like 200 plus kilometers up to Muskoka. Um, and I hadn't been on a bike since I was maybe 17 or 18 years old. So, uh, I almost died on that ride. Couldn't walk straight for about a week, but after the end of the ride, I was just very euphoric and excited. And I was like, you know, this is something I could really get into. I think I'm a, I'm a fan of type two fun. So things that are painful when you're doing it, but you feel rewarded when you're finished. So I ended up buying a bike and really getting into it. And then when the pandemic hit, a lot of the cycling clubs sort of, I don't want to say disbanded, but they weren't doing rides anymore. And I, I always found cycling to be a very social sport. And so a friend of mine, and, and there was actually a few of us kind of had this idea when we were riding together one day uh, that, you know, we should start our own club. And, uh, and so that idea, you know, a friend of mine, Casper Wong, um, shout out to Casper, he, uh, he took the initiative and set it all up. And, you know, we, we even came up with a name on the ride and uh, all of a sudden it grew from there. And, 
Uh, and it's grown now to the point after three years where we've got three different cycling teams, a professional team, um, which performed incredibly well this year. Uh, we've got a women's team and we've got a development team. On top of that, there's a club side with a discord and there's a lot of resources and information sharing that happens. And then there's, um, and we're starting to do more of this now, but some advocacy work that we're doing in the city because I'm passionate about cycling. And I think, you know, we should be investing more in cycling infrastructure in the city and trying to do more because, you know, driving around the city, frankly, sucks. Um, I like to drive, but driving in the city is like the bane of my existence. And so the reason for that is because, you know, too many cars are on the road and we're not using enough, uh, enough of the, you know, other infrastructure, whether it's cycling or uh, public transit. And, uh, and that's the reason why our city is so gridlocked. So, um, if we can promote more people to get on bikes, I think that's an obvious solution to help minimize that. And obviously investment in transit is another really big one. Uh, and so where we can advocate for that, um, we are, and I think there's different ways to do that that are clever and maybe a little bit out of the box. So, you know, things like bringing racing back to the city, you know, showing the really exciting fun side of cycling and getting kids interested in, in the potential for cycling and maybe getting them on bikes younger and, um, getting them more passionate about it. That's an easy way to start promoting more people to get on bikes. And so we're doing some advocacy work from that perspective as well. I think that's awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being on, on the, uh, the show and uh, your continued success. It's pretty incredible to see. Again, I remember meeting with you back when you were first thinking about working for Lifetime uh, and watching your journey along the way has been a thrill. So thank you for being on the show. It's really been great chatting with you. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you again. Thank you for tuning into Livable Launch, your go-to podcast for all things condo and new home launches. We hope today's episode has given you valuable insights into the exciting world of real estate development and the minds behind these remarkable projects. We're incredibly grateful to our esteemed guests and our dedicated listeners like you who continue to make this podcast a success. Remember, Livable Launch is here to keep you informed, inspired, and engaged with the ever-evolving landscape of condo and new home developments. We value your feedback and want to ensure that Livable Launch remains your trusted source of information. So don't hesitate to reach out. Remember, we're all in this exciting journey together. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on our website or social media platforms. And if you're a builder industry expert who wants to share your expertise and be featured on our show, please get in touch. We'd love to hear about your latest projects, launches, and insights. Thank you again for joining us on Livable Launch. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Stay up to date with the latest condo and new home launches, trends, and insider knowledge. Until next time, keep building, dreaming, and exploring the world of real estate. Remember, Livable Launch is here to guide you for every step of the way. I'm Matthew Slutsky, and this is Livable Launch signing off. Happy building, and see you soon.